for sure. 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 Welcome to another episode of For Sure, a 200-foot podcast. I'm Peter. Hey, it's me, Jay. All right, so to start off the show this week, we have uh, a comment from, from a user, a, uh, a power user, if you will. This, uh, this person seems to comment and ask questions on almost every episode, which is obviously fantastic. So Raw Power has this question here. The Coyotes are still winless. How difficult will it be to race them to the bottom? What are your early picks for bottom three in the league? On the flip side, who will play in the Stanley Cup final? Who will we laugh at in midseason when we crash and burn? All this and more on the next episode of Soap. No, I'm just kidding. I had to throw that in there because I have a little mini Robert Guillaume tribute um, who was fantastic on Soap, and he passed away. Well, I, I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't also say that um, uh, on behalf of my girlfriend, we have to say one of the best lines ever uttered in film history. You knew my father? Correction. I know your father. <laughs> He's so great. And he was also really cool on Sports Night. So, Oh, absolutely. Uh, and obviously Benson is where he made his everything, but um, – he just Robert Young plus Sorkin dialogue. I mean, that's just ridiculously awesome. So, uh, but but yeah, right, we, so, uh, yeah. Where do we start with this? How do we? So uh, should we talk about Arizona? I mean, that's kind of the coyote in the room, don't you think? Right. Sure. I, th- I think we can do that because um, if you remember back to when we we did our, our preseason predictions, I, I I'm looking rather foolish on on several of them, in, including Arizona. Um, although it, it, it is still early, obviously, but Arizona has not performed anywhere close to how we thought they would or how we thought they might. You know, I guess you yeah. could say that. Um, Antti Ranta has been injured. He may or may not return today. Uh, we're recording this on Saturday a couple of days before you listen to it. So he may or may not return on Saturday, but he's close to coming back. And I think that once he comes back, I think that's when we'll be able to really evaluate how good this team is. Um, obviously, they're not going to be a contender, but I, I you know, I, I don't think it's it's crazy to consider that they could, you know, come back and and maybe make a playoff push. What do you think? I think it's certainly within the realm of possibility. I'm just concerned about like players who were really present and kind of making a splash a little bit, but have kind of disappeared. Looking at you, Domi. Looking at you, Declare. You know, like like where like what's going on? So I, I don't know. I. I think when everything's not going for you, obviously it has a compound effect, right? You know, oh, sure. goaltending, oh, defense. Oh, so, like, it's just, you know, a, a team rises and falls together. So, you know, in, in that regard, I think this is just, it's, it's, uh, it's the way the world turns, Pete. And, you know, conversely, you know, seeing how Vegas is, you know, basically shattering most of the expectations right now, I mean, I would really love and and laugh so very hard if one of our future episodes this season is us. We just start the episode cackling because we've seen a complete role reversal where Arizona is in playoff contention and Vegas has just p- completely gone Area 51. Off the map, disavowed. <laughs> it was fun while it lasted. 
But uh, yeah. yeah, I do have to say I, I think one of the things that is is interesting to look at, which we we talked about when we were doing our, uh, I think last episode we were talking about the early performance, is that you know Columbus showed us that some teams can do so well in the beginning of the year. You know, they could ride such a big win streak uh, to start the year that no matter what happens, I mean, obviously they can't lose every game, but, you know, even just on a a reasonable pace, they have built up enough points that they have a good cushion. You know, it's, we talk about how, you know, the parity has affected the league and a lot of times, you know, the end of the year, you know, right around the trade deadline, sometimes people seem to think like, oh, we have a chance. And it's like, you really don't. Like, you really don't because, you know, if you're behind a few teams, you really don't have a chance to jump them because, you know, with the, the three-point rule, you know, not the three-point rule, but, you know, uh, yeah. you know the, the you know three-point games, you know, you could easily do very well down the stretch and still not make up all those points that you lost in the beginning. So it could be interesting because I think Vegas – I, I still, I still am not even close to a Vegas believer. I still think they are riding, being the new team. People haven't really, you know, figured out how to play against them. Also, all almost all their games have been at home. You know, so you have NHL teams coming in, spending the night in Vegas, and for some reason they don't play well the next day. It is, it is a mystery. It is baffling. It, it's great, but let's let's we forget the team that did get to humble them with their very first loss. Happens to have a jersey made of red and white. So that proves, folks, that we can't be that bad. But, you know, it, I think when it, with it's always nice to set these random little records right now, you know, and like good for them, right? You know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's definitely a, a plus for the league and for the team, right? You know, you get maybe start people getting to be like, oh, okay, so maybe they're, they're coming to play so that by the time they eventually do start to suck imaginably, uh, like unimaginably, people will be like, oh, that's just the way it goes, rather than, you know, I think, I think I just saw a tweet today that, like, the Vegas Knights have eight wins, and that's all the Capitals had in their first season, because I guess they went, like, eight and 67. <laughs> so, like, yeah, it definitely could be worse. It is nice to see it going better for for a recent entry into this hallowed NHL club. So, um, but but like Arizona, it's like, gosh, you know. See, Pete, do you think we're in a suck because we suck or suck by design? Are you talking about Arizona? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I guess I'm. I guess I'm trying to. Because what you see this the the Sixers. Or, or the senators, you know, trust the system or, tr- you know, trust the progress or whatever. Like, do you, like, do they just stink and then that's just where they are or are they, you know? I certainly don't think that this was intentional. I don't think this was like a, uh, a buff- what was it? who was a Buffalo, you know, Buffalo style tank. Um, yeah. I think I'm getting that right. Yeah. You know, they were trying to get, uh, trying to tank for McDavid and they ended up losing and getting Eichel, who's obviously still going to be very good, but, um, a little bit different there. But, yeah, so I don't think that this is by design at all. I think um, – I mean, if you look at the moves they made, I mean, they were active this summer going out and getting some players. And the type of players that they got were the type that you would get if you're – if you think that you're ready to take the next step. Like, you're you're ready for these, you know, these kids that have been playing to, you know, push to the next level. Like I said, you know, they went out, they got Ronta. I mean, he was probably one of – the top few goalie, you know, desirable goalies. Um, you know, it wasn't like they, you know, 
all the other goalies were gone and they just had to get him. I mean, they, they you know, they specifically went out and got him because of how how well he'd done in uh, in New York, obviously as a backup. But you know, he still he still put up a, you know some really good numbers. And then you saw, um, you know, earlier Cam Talbot, you know, was the backup for New York, did the same thing, put up good numbers, went to Edmonton, and. Obviously, this year's not going that well, but, um, you know, he did really well last year, you know, so he proved that he definitely could be an NHL starter, and I think that that's, you know, that was their goal. I don't I don't know if they were necessarily hoping to make the playoffs this year, but I think they had, in their in the management's mind, I think they had turned the corner, and this is now when we're, you know, they're, they're making that playoff push and trying to get to the next level. Um, one thing, I was doing some research before we started, and I thought this was pretty interesting. Um Sean, uh, Sean Tierney has a chart up where it's uh, goals for percentage, right? So the actual, uh, you know, percentage of goals that a team scores compared to its opponents, you know, like, uh, or I guess compared to total goals scored, you know, including the goals that the opponent scored, uh, versus expected goals for percentage. And so expected goals uh, takes into account the quality of the shot, you know, so a shot in the slot uh, or a rebound or one that goes across the like the, the center of the goal because it forces the goalie to move. You know, those those shots are considered to be, you know, more high danger, you know, medium danger or high danger shot. So they're considered to be, you know, more of a chance of going in than, you know, a, a unscreened shot from the point. Right. And so taking that into account, there's a couple really interesting things is that Arizona is – their goals for percentage is just a little over 30%. That's their actual goals for, right? So when, when a goal is scored on the ice, it, it, and, and this is five on five, I think, when a goal is scored on the ice, basically they have scored the goal just over 30% of the time. But their expected goals for is only 44, right? So they're they're underperforming what they should be doing, you know, so – but. The bad thing is, even if they were to be doing what they should be doing, that's still a bad percentage. It is. You know, whereas Vegas, so Vegas has an expected goals for that is just under 50%. So that's that's what they should be doing, or like, you know, the expectation would be for them to be scoring. Their actual is 65%, right? So they're overperforming the expectation by nearly 15%. So... Again, obviously, you can't just look at one stat and think that it tells the whole story, but that definitely indicates that, you know, a fall is coming. You know, they, you know, a yep. regression is coming in which that they're not going to be able to keep up this pace. And when that happens, especially now that they don't have a goalie for a while, they could, you know, they could have a pretty big loss streak, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's you said it. <laughs> yeah. Another part of this question is, what are your early picks for the bottom three in the league? All right, so, Jay, so when the year's over, who do you think is going to be bottom three in the league? Well, I, I think it's a foregone conclusion. Arizona's in that group. Um, I mean, I could easily see the wings down there. I mean, like, and it would probably be like a slog. Like, like they'd probably put up a fight, but then still end up down there, but... I don't know. Could it could it be Wings, Sabers, Arizona? Does that? I mean, I feel like that's a that's a thing. Uh, I mean, you know, granted though the Sabers did win on a one nothing decision the other day, but yeah, I think I think with um, the way it's currently projected, I'm I'm saying Detroit, Arizona, and Buffalo. What do you got? This is, this is a tough one because I think. 
before the year started, I would have I would have taken Vegas and I would have not thought twice. I would have said Vegas is easily going to be in the bottom three. I still think I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. I think they are going to crash and burn pretty hard at some point in the f- relatively near future. Now watch them win, you know, the next two weeks, and I have to be – it's coming. I'm telling you, like, like that'll, that'll be our running thing. Like, every <laughs> episode, I'm predicting the crash and burn of the Vegas Knights on their way to the Stanley Cup. But um, I don't think I, – I think with the points that Vegas is banking right now, I think that's going to keep them out of the basement. I think they're still going to be bad, and I don't think they're going to be a playoff team, but I don't think they're going to be bottom three. Um, I think – Vancouver could definitely be down there. Okay. They're they're playing, you know, they're playing better than I thought they would this year. I mean, right now it's looking like, you know, that that that's kind of a silly pick, but I think Vancouver could definitely crash pretty hard down the road. Um Arizona, I think Arizona's going to get it together. I I I think obviously with their horrible start, I think that might keep them from making the playoffs, but I think they're going to make a pretty decent push. So I'm not gonna put Ve- I'm not gonna put Arizona in there. I'm not gonna put Vegas in there. So I guess Buffalo. I do think Detroit, unfortunately. And nope. so I guess I'll pick a surprise team, and I'm going to pick a surprise team called the Rangers. <laughs> I said it before. I said it before. I think this is the year that the wheels fall off the wagon, and oh, I'm gonna stick with that. I realize I'm probably gonna look pretty dumb, but that's okay because it's happened before. Fairly often, pretty much every prediction. So, <laughs> yeah. now what about um, what about uh, early picks for who will play in the Stanley Cup Finals? So maybe we can do like Eastern Conference Finals, Western Conference Finals. Who we think will win? Now, obviously, as the year goes on, like maybe about the halfway point, we'd obviously have a much better chance of of predicting this relatively accurately. Yeah. What do you think? What are your finals looking like? Uh, my Eastern Conference final is going to be uh, it's going to be Pittsburgh and uh, I, I, and I and I know this is going to be really funny to hear. I think it's going to be Pittsburgh and New Jersey for the East. Okay. <laughs> Just, I I think I think the Devils are going to. 1995 themselves back into the conversation. <laughs> mm. um, so that, that I think that should be pretty interesting because nothing would please me more than seeing um, uh, 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 Taylor Hall just taking everything over. And then, you know, uh, uh, what is it, Henrique? You know, like, I, that. see, this is what's weird. I just, I like the Devils incrementally just not as a whole like i like certain devils but as a whole screw them <laughs> right okay so um so that's my east and then my western conference i think is going to be ducks oilers and i think okay and, and then i think your final is going to be uh uh it's going to be it's going to be a bird off it's going to be it's going to be penguins v ducks and the ducks are going to deny pittsburgh their third straight stanley cup you heard it here first I'm calling it. What about you, Pete? Huh. See, this is tough because of the playoff format. I think for me, if I had to, the two teams that I think will meet in the Eastern Conference Final are Tampa Bay and Toronto. But they're both in the same division. Now, granted, they could they could meet in the final if, like, let's say Tampa wins the Atlantic, 
Toronto finishes as one of the wild cards and they end up playing, you know, moving into the Metropolitan. Yep. Um, but then that would be even harder because obviously, you know, the Metropolitan is, is probably, is I, I think, easily the best division in the, out of the two Eastern uh, Eastern Conference divisions. So their road would be harder to being there, I think. So I'm going to say that I think Tampa Bay makes the Eastern Conference Finals, winning a thrilling series against Toronto uh, in the round before. I think they are in the Eastern Conference Finals, and I think they beat the Washington Capitals. Wow, that, I think so. You're yes. projecting. You are projecting. Okay, all right, yes. that's great. I am projecting. I, I, I'm predicting that Washington finally beats Pittsburgh. Only to lose in the next round, <laughs> and so the the, the 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 fickle finger of fate will uh, flick them again in the face. So I think, yeah, I think that's my East. I like out of those teams, I I am the most confident that Tampa Bay. I think Tampa Bay's unless there's injuries, you know, that's what's hurt them before. I think Vasilevsky is the real deal. Um, I think when we were talking to Allen, we talked about Vasilevsky and we talked about how. Uh, his home plate save percentage, which is you know like uh, you know if you draw a home plate in front of the in front of the net, you know so really high danger save percentage is was the best in the league last year, even as yeah. obviously as a backup. And the year before Dubnik had his you know tremendous season, he, he was the the leader in high danger save percentage or the the home plate save percentage. So I think I think Vasilevsky is a real deal. I mean they got Hedman now. Sergachev um, is looking you know insane in that top line. I mean, that top line is unfair. Like, that power play is unfair. Because if you let Kucherov shoot, he's going to score. If you mark him, he's going to find Samkos. I mean, we saw that the other night against the Wings. I mean, that line is just unfair. And then Nemestikov is, is you know, a, a really, really strong third, you know, addition to that line. So, so yeah. So, I'd say Tampa Bay comes out of the East. In the West. Ooh, this is tough. I think I'm going to go Edmonton-Nashville. And... I think Nashville wins just because Edmonton has the better player, but I think Nashville will have the better team. And it's, you know, it's not too hard for one player to take over, you know, to, to win a game, but it's, it's, it's pretty hard for even a player as good as Connor McDavid to, you know, win an, an entire series. And I think what we're seeing is that he might have to do that four times for them to win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> you know, so that was, you know, even for somebody as good as him, I think that might be a little bit out of his range. So, but we'll see. I mean, first of all, Edmonton would have to make the playoffs. And right now it's not looking good, you know, 10 or so games in. Yep, yep, very true. I mean, lest we forget, Connor could be listening to this right now, Pete. And for, oh, all, yeah. we know, and for all we know, we just issued him a challenge. So if come yeah. the spring, Edmonton finds themselves at the dance and he does <laughs> carry the team four times, this is an official invitation to Connor McDavid to come on our show and say, suck it. That's, exactly. Yeah. This is, this is the, this is the most like, this is the one challenge that I would, I would, uh, I don't know, maybe, in baseball, like having Bryce Harper win like three World Series in a row, like he's the other guy that I would directly challenge in this way. It's like, listen, you can't do this, so prove me wrong. <laughs> so, you know, hey, don't get me wrong, David. I'm going to be playing with you on the on NHL 18, and we're going to do a bunch of other stuff, I'm sure, throughout the year because we've already seen the your fantastic backhand assist skating backwards against Chicago. So, you're, I think you're waiting for something. Other than, you know, a comparable team. But I think you're waiting for the right moment to just 
completely go into overdrive. And I applaud you. Just make sure it counts. Yeah, I think uh, right now Connor McDavid is getting a harness built so that he can literally put Milan Lucic on his back and use him as protection as he skates through the entire team. Uh, and Lucic will just kind of, you know, slash his stick around uh, and, you know, threaten people with his skates. You know, pretty much like what he does normally. Yeah. But he will be strapped, strapped to Connor, so he will he will literally be his uh, his wingman. Yep, yep, the whirling dervish oiler. That's that, yeah. That's what they'll be. It would, be, it would be like in the Mighty Ducks when the figure skater just skated really, you know, did like the, <laughs> the, the twirl really fast. And for some reason, like, that helped. Yeah. Listen, someone spinning in a, in a just a straight line in place. I mean, that's – who knew that was the hockey player's Achilles heel? I know. You know kudos, kudos to Gordon Bombay for, for exploiting a critical weakness. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Jay, so uh, – you know, it was, so what do you think about a couple individual individual storylines? Um, you know, what, what do you think as a as an NHL fan? What do you think is the most interesting uh, personal storyline or like individual storyline that's playing out so far about a month into the season? Well, um, you know, I you know, in, in thinking about this when the season first started, like you know, I as a fan, like who do I? Who do I want to see succeed? Who do I want to look at and say, your mother and I are so proud of you? And um, I, I I think we are, and I know this is kind of, it, there's always a stretch with this stuff, right, Pete? But with Andreas Athanasiu coming back with a one-year situation, I know his hasn't really even started yet. I mean, he's he's already played in the game. But um, if there's any one storyline that I am now 100% fixated on, it's whether or not Athanasiu, like, just goes completely supernova to try and prove, like, hey, you know, I need to be here forever. Or if he just does, like, exceedingly good enough to still warrant something and then maybe, sadly, get out of town. So I, I'm I'm more surprised that that story is just starting now, but now the story is kind of with a different angle because before I actually wanted to, you know the whole young gun situation of like Mantha and and Athanasio. I mean those are two guys that have been widely regarded as like key pieces moving forward and have even been you know kind of I won't say chirped at by their coaches, but maybe I will say like they've said some they've said some of those you know. You call a guy out a little bit, and I w- would like to see what what happens. But now the now the the plot line is different. Now it's you know, hey, there's been basically ten games burned off the schedule, and you've been skating across the continent. You know, what are you coming back to? What do you want to come back to? What do you want to change? What do you want to do better? I I, I think that's my that's my storyline. What what about you? Mm-hmm. I think for me, I am going to be interested in seeing where we end up in terms of point leader and goal leader, because we have several players that are just on an unbelievable pace. I mean, obviously we had Ovechkin, you know, with his goals, but now we have over in Tampa, you know, we got Kucherov, we got Stamkos, you know, that whole line is just putting up ungodly numbers. Austin Matthews is, 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 you know, still playing, you know, at, at a very high level. 
obviously Connor McDavid does not have as many points now as you would expect him to, but he clearly is, you know, still doing what he does. And, you know, as long as the people around him can help him out a little bit more, then I think, you know, obviously he's going to be in that conversation. You know, you can never count out Crosby. You know, I mean, there's just, uh, you know, Line. I mean, you know, with his ridiculous shot, if he gets, you know, if he gets hot, you know, he could, you know, really make a run at that, you know, that goals, uh, goals title this year. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what that top number is. Is somebody going to break 50? Could somebody break 60? Could we get higher than that? You know, like we haven't had, you know, a, a super high goal scoring number in, in a while, you know, like. You know, when we were, you know, we were paying attention in the, in the 90s, I mean, you know, you, you had some, you know, astronomical numbers. And obviously, even before that, you know, if you look at the, you know, the, the goal scoring records. But, um, you know, I think this could be this could be the year that we just have one, two or maybe even more players just put up an ungodly number of goals. So I think it's going to be interesting to see if they can keep up that pace um, and if it ends up being like uh you know, like in baseball when they're going for the, you know, the home run records and, you know, there's another guy that's going at the same time and they're, they're pushing each other. You know, yep. So could that lead them to, you know, to, 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 to score more than they even would, you know, to push harder than they even would if yep. there wasn't somebody else kind of nipping at their heels. So for me, I think that's the, that's shaping up to be, I think, one of the more interesting storylines. Well, I mean, that's very that's very succinct of you, Peter, because that's that's exactly right. I think when you're dealing with these individual end year totals, I mean, obviously Gretzky still maintains a dominance over the majority of them, but like, I don't know with how quick the game is now and how some of these players just can just go to another level. I would, I think, I think someone's gonna, I would, I think in our lifetime. We'll see someone break the 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 ninety two goal. Wow! I, I, I don't I don't I don't know if it's I, I'm certainly not saying it's this season because I haven't seen you know oh, for all we know it could be this season because Ovechkin's already raised his hand with whatever ten goals so far or whatever right, but I think with you know I know it's tough because again there I think there is still some uh, truth to the whole so sometimes some of these players have a bit of the creativity coached out of them but I think. As is the case with Neo, as is the case with Luke Skywalker, one hero will arise to hmm. completely supplant any other ne'er do well and 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 give us another crazy excited thing to, to cheer about. I know everybody wants it to be McDavid. Maybe some people wanted it to be Crosby, but I think I think the person who's going to score ninety three, um, I think, is already playing in the league right now. And he's pretty young. I don't know yeah. who it is yet, but yeah. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Again, this is this is a gut feeling thing. But I think I think the way this the way this the, with analytics and how the game is being just bogged down sometimes in just too many. Hey, the numbers say this. Hey, the numbers say this. I think some kid's going to take the numbers, but also just know how to read. Someone's going to have that superhuman ability that Kretzky had to just be where the puck is going to be, not where it is. It's going to happen again, Pete. So we know this. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. For God's sakes, I hope I'm right. (laughs) Well, folks, it's time once again for a Peabody, Emmy, Oscar, and Tony winning segment interviewing important hockey people. Uh, This is actually a... 
this is a tremendous, awesome time to uh, to be listening because we have a Mr. Craig Custance here uh, to uh, chat with uh, chat some some puck talk with us. Uh, for those of you who don't know, and shame on you if you don't, but I will remind you now. Uh, Craig Custance is the editor in chief of the Athletic Detroit and NHL Insider. Uh, he joined the Athletic after nearly a decade covering the NHL as a hockey writer. Uh, the last six coming as the senior writer for ESPN.com. He's also a regular on the Hockey Today podcast and a contributor for SportsCenter. Uh, he was also a journalist for the Atlantic Journal Constitution. And today we are going to be, we are going to kind of go ham on this, right, Pete? Because that's right, Mr. Custance has a book titled Behind the Bench, Inside the Minds of Hockey's Greatest Coaches. Uh, it's available now from Triumph Books, and uh, most of the time we like to give suggestions to people of who to follow, but seriously, folks, you need to follow Craig. So on the tweet sphere, he is at Craig Custance. Craig, thanks a billion for coming on, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. That was quite the intro. And before we get too far, I want to congratulate you on the Tony and the Emmy uh, in the Peabody. I didn't realize you guys <laughs> won the triple crown of broadcasting. That's, that's quite an accomplishment. Well, it's thank, amazing. thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, really, really we didn't, when we asked you to come on, we didn't want to, we didn't want to guilt you with the, with the triple crown. We just thought by being humble and straightforward about it, that you just see that we're just a, we're just a two man band who's just taking the world by storm. So, uh, Craig, you've already seen this. Uh, we did a nice little review on uh, Winging in Motown of your book. Uh, very, uh, very glowing from my uh, broadcast partner here, Mr. Uh, Peter Flynn. And I'm going to throw it over to him to uh, to talk about this thing because uh, I haven't been able to read uh, all of it yet. But uh, Pete is what? one of those. I, I know, I know, I suck. That's why I'm throwing it to the other guy. I, I, I know. <laughs> I said I haven't read all of it yet. I've read okay. some of it. I just haven't read all of it. So hmm. next, you know, if, if whenever I see you next, you can slap my wrist for sure. But uh, Pete, Pete's one of those guys that he can flip through a book and he just absorbs it. So he's far more knowledgeable. So Pete, take it away before Craig just hangs up from this. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, all right. So, um, from reading the book, I I found it interesting. And I talked about this in the review that you know each of the each of the coaches, you know, different people, you know, some were kind of like different eras. Um, you know, uh, and different people, different backgrounds, but obviously they're all good coaches. They're all good, successful coaches. You know, so one of the things you talked about is, like, you know, the commonalities that you were able to find with these guys. So what do you think is, you know, having talked to them, having done all this research and talked to their friends and their colleagues, what do you think is, is if you had to say, the most important characteristic for a coach to have to make him or her successful? What do you think? Oh, wow, that's a big question right off the hop. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what, I, I would say the, the kind of the one common thing, I don't know if this is the most important characteristic to have, but the one common trait that all these coaches seem to have was this willingness to take, you know, kind of big risks at different points in their career. And and I don't know if I went into writing this book looking for any common threads to tie together or if it just kind of evolved as, as the process went along, but but yeah, like that was, I mean, these guys all accomplished something great, right? Like they reached the pinnacle of the profession for, in, in the most, most cases in this, in this instance. And, and I think to do that, you do have to kind of take these, these, you know, you have to, these leap of faith at some point in your career, you know, kind of regardless of what you're doing. And, and so that, I think that you have to be a little, be a little bit fearless in terms of common traits. And I would also say another one is persistence because, I look at, like, let's say specifically Mike Sullivan. I mean, here's a guy 
who I would say right now, I can say with confidence, is probably a top three in the league coach right now. Like I would, I would put Mike Sullivan up against anybody. And he's, you know, you talk about persistence. He's fight, you know, gets a job in Boston, is fired there, uh, becomes kind of lumped in with John Tortorella. And and you thought when you thought Mike Sullivan, let's say five years ago, you thought of Mike, John Tortorella's assistant. It was, you know, this was a guy that was kind of pegged as an assistant coach never really looked at himself that way and he just kept on going and and that you know when they get fired in vancouver i think it was if, if i would have told you guys you know both of these guys are going to be head coaches and successful head coaches in fairly short order i'm not sure any of us would have believed it and so i think you know a, a kind of a faith in your ability a willingness to take risks and just kind of dogged persistence is necessary in that profession yeah craig so i'm um, following up on what you said because um, I really, I really enjoyed reading the epilogue because, you know, you like, basically you kind of summarized all the things that I was thinking as I was reading and I was like, Oh good. You know, yeah. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> we're all on the same page. Oh good. Yeah. And so, you know, so you ended, you ended by talking about, um, you know, having, having looked at these, these people with their, um, you know, the, uh, the choices that they had to make, you know, the forks in the road and, you know, yeah. you end the book by asking, you know, you know, thinking about like, you know, what, what, you know, how your life would be different. So have you had like a, like a fork in the road where you had a major decision to make? Um, and, you know, you know, sometimes you look back and say, Oh, I wonder what would happened if I had done this or done this. Yeah. So well, it's, it's funny because when you write a book and it's out in the world, you, it's up, you, you kind of, uh, at that point, it's, left to everyone's interpretation and like I'm not there reading next to people and explaining what I meant and and mm. um and it was funny like right away someone's like oh you know there was a review and it was kind of that based on that the kind of the last chapter of the epilogue or whatever it was it, people were like it, it's clear that the author wanted to be a coach and there maybe has some sort of regrets <laughs> which isn't true at all like I have zero <laughs> desire to be a coach uh, I just am fascinated by him and and so um but but yeah so I think the process of this book, which was about a two-year process, probably ended up the kind of culmination result was, was me taking the job at The Athletic. Like, like right oh, cool. when I was turning this in, yeah, it was an absolute fork in the road moment. I, I filed the manuscript for this on New Year's Eve of this, you know, 2016. Um, and, you know, conversations with The Athletic started shortly thereafter. And and I'm telling you, and, you know, it, it didn't happen till whatever it was. My contract at ESPN was up in June, and I basically was faced with, you know, three more years at ESPN, uh, mm. doing what I was doing and kind of confident that I could do and, you know, safe, very safe situation, um, or take a plunge and and try to build a staff in Detroit and do something completely different in my life for a company that had only existed for, you know, eight months or whatever it was at the time. And, you know, even people see now in the athletic, it's still risky, but at the time it was like, there wasn't everybody, you know, Ken Rosenthal wasn't at the athletic when I was weighing this and, you know, you didn't care. The Brun wasn't there and you didn't have all. The, and so I, I I'm 100% convinced that going through the process of this book and kind of experiencing these coaches experiences led me to, to take that leap and try something that maybe I wouldn't have been comfortable doing a couple of years ago. Well, that's great. I mean, for a second there, I thought you were going to say whether or not your fork in the road moment was going to be whether or not to do the For Sure podcast with Jane Pete. But, that's um, the second big one, yeah. That's yeah. yeah. So I think I'm probably like doing a, you know, a, a good and bad list and a positive and a negative list. 
positives and the negatives and, and uh, you know, talk to a lot of family. And here we are. Well, I, well, again, I think I, I would still stick with the other one. We are we are still uh, we're still a, a a growing franchise here at the First Year Network. Um, so uh, <laughs> so Craig, um, I, I wanted to throw somewhat of a, a hypothetical at you because um, in, in in terms of watching the way the game has evolved or continues to evolve um, now that you've talked to coaches and, and whatnot, um, I'm predicting a future where there aren't any true defensemen anymore. I think uh, based on how these players are either trained to be two-way or or just very defensively sound, I mean, you know, given how they always want to get younger and, and stuff, I mean, I, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if at one point it was basically, hey, the last two guys in the zone, you play D, and then, uh, you know, whatever the situation calls from there. Is that too outlandish to think, or do you think there's always going to be – you know, I guess it's tough to say, uh, I mean, there's always going to be roles, right? But, like, given how the game is now so hinged on speed and trying to beat the other guy, I mean, does it even make sense to have your prongers and your Markovs anymore? Um, so I, I think it's a timely question because John Tortorella recently described um, Zach Wierenski as a rover and not a defenseman. And, and I agree with that completely. Like, Zach... Zach isn't kind of your prototypical defenseman. And I think he's he's the kind of player that, like, if you have a couple of him on your team, you're going to win a lot of games. Like, that's exactly what you need on a defense. Guy that can jump into the play that's, that's you know, like having another forward on the ice. And it changes, I think it changes the course of the game. And I think it, it, it wasn't that long ago where teams, coaches just defaulted to, you want, a, you want an offensive defenseman on one side and a stay-at-home defenseman on the other. And then it was like, why do we need that stay-at-home defenseman? Like, what's he, you know, why is that necessary? And and the really, the, I, I think, and maybe there's a better example, but to me, Nashville last year was was one of the first teams to really say, we're gonna, we're just gonna can the idea of having just a very traditional stay-at-home defenseman. We're just gonna go with a lot of mobile, you know, some puck movers, offensive defensemen from from top to bottom. We saw how dangerous they were. So I think that's where the game's evolving. Um, I, a, a guy that was really great on this, I wrote a story, you know, go back and Google it on Zach Wierenski, um for ESPN about, you know, maybe a year ago. And I talked to Doug Brown, the former Red Wing who played with the Russian, Russian five. And he coached Zach and Dylan Larkin as, as they were kids. And basically that's how he raised them. He's like, look, we're just, we're, you know, we're defenseman is just a title. You're, you're, you know, you jump into the play, we're a five man unit. It was all kind of predicated on what he learned from the Russians, Scotty Bowman. And so, like, this isn't a new thought, but, like, you need a coach that embraces this this notion. And you also need players that can that have the skill level to do it. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, Toronto is another team that seems to be, you know, if you watch at least some of, some of their lines, you know, some of their lines seem to be kind of more fluid positionally than just your standard positions. Um, but I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought up John Tortorella because I had, um, you know, I definitely had a, a couple ideas or questions about him because, you know, he's, he's a, a, a figure, I guess you could say, where, you know, in the hockey community, you know, his personality is, let's just say maybe divisive where okay. <laughs> you have a lot yeah. of people who just, if you say the name Tortorella, like, I mean, there are people I know who would not root for Team USA because Tortorella was a coach. Like, like they, they dislike wow. him that much. Um, 
and you know a lot of it is based on the public stuff we see you know the you know trying to get into the locker room um you know the big blow-ups you know with the press and stuff like that but in the chapter with with Tortorella and Mike Sullivan I thought it was really interesting how you know I had definitely a view like I don't think I'm that harsh on him but I had a view of Tortorella and reading that chapter kind of made me reconsider um and in the book, you talk about how having Sullivan there, you know, you think that that helps Tortorella to open up. But at the same time, you know, he, you know, when when that first game was over, you know, Sullivan left pretty shortly after. So, yeah. you, you know, you had yeah. a segment just with him by himself. So, like, what were you like? Were you surprised at how candid he was? Like, um, you know, what did you think about that? Yeah. So, so some of the coaches that I sat down with and watched these games, I, some of them I had a relationship with. I knew well. It was completely comfortable. Um, you know. It, Todd McClellan, for example, you know, picks me up in his boat. It was a summer day. We might as well just have beers and barbecued. And, uh, you know, like it was a very comfortable situation. John Tortorella is a guy that that I didn't – like my only interactions with John Tortorella were very traditional press conference, scrum. You know, you're you're watching what you're, you're asking because you you don't want to set off the volcano, <laughs> you know, kind of tiptoeing around questions. So, yeah, so I went into that. And I remember talking to Mike Sullivan, kind of doing some pre-reporting, and he's like, man, I really hope people get to see the real John Tortorella through this because he may be the most misunderstood person in hockey. And, I'm, and you know, I, I thought, okay, that's, that's interesting, and, 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 but it was still kind of trepidatious sitting, going, going into sitting down. And John couldn't have been nicer and more gracious and more open, and it just became this conversation um, – a lot of that chapter, maybe more so than any other chapter in the book, it's it's dialogue, like just between you and just me and him, and and like mm. it's a transcript essentially because it became this conversation that I thought was so fascinating to hear him kind of walk through different times of his career, um, you know, basically saying I should have been fired in Vancouver, here's why I shouldn't have been fired in New York, and where he got really interesting is why he uses conflict the way he uses it and and trying to max out, you know, players and get the most out of them, he's introducing conflict into the dressing room that maybe isn't there. And and it, it was just like, here's why he is the way he is. And my the kind of the big takeaway was, I, I think part of me suspected, like it just seemed like everything was about John Tortorella with, with his team, and you're covering it, he would become the story. And you're wondering, man, like, what, is there an ego on this guy or what's the deal? And then I realized, in sitting down with them at length, like it, it's not a, it's not about John Torrell. It was just about his inability to be like political or anything at all. And he just was constantly just trying to win. And, um, and then it kind of becomes about John Torrell for that reason. Right. And so um, he was completely different. And I, I do think, and I'm glad, I'm glad that he was willing to open up the way he had, he was, because I, I think that that chapter gives a truer sense of the, you know, person he is. Yeah, I, I, I mean, for for the most part, I first have to congratulate you for escaping what, again, could have been another. Well, I guess that's what I'm saying, Brooksy. You know, I'm glad you survived because <laughs> right. you never know when you could be the victim of a of a Torella outburst. So, but yeah, well, I, I mean, yeah, go ahead. I would just say to that, like, one of the things that John mentions in that chapter, he's, he's like, look, you know, the reason that those interactions happen is. Uh, he's like, I'm a, I hate losing. I'm a, I'm a very poor loser. So we're getting access to him five minutes after he's lost the game, right? And so he's, here's this, you know, he's got the Italian temper and he's angry and he's just mad he lost. He's not mad at 
Brooksy or whatever. He's just mad he lost in general. And then we're coming in, and then we're prodding him and asking questions and, and whatever. And, and so that's the public, you know, let's say it's 80% of the window into John Tortorella is maybe when he's at his angriest, right? So then we're yeah. like, so we, we then begin to say, wow, that's John Tortorella. He's just a you know, little angry guy, and, and which isn't the like, you know, that's most of the time he's not, right? And, um, and so, yeah, I, when, you, when you catch him in whatever that was, uh, July in the middle of the summer, you know, with nothing but time, then you, you kind of get a, a better example of who he is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, he's he's low key like one of my like under the radar like favorite coaches because I think with what you said with you know intro- introducing conflict as a means of either motivation or or just kind of keeping um, you know like attacking a problem differently or attacking a situation differently. I mean, you know, if there's if there's anybody who's gonna have the book written on using anger to help, I think you could yeah. like, have Tortorella be like like case a so um uh what i want to ask you in you know now that you've so you've been around coaches obviously and um there's there's this one argument that keeps coming up and i've seen it and it it maybe doesn't even apply just to coaches but uh maybe just to, to hockey people in general there's this argument that i hate when people are like you know you're just a fan or you're just this or you've never played a a day in this league you know what are you doing here but then you have these guys go around and, you know, having never stepped foot on an NHL sheet for an NHL team, but, you know, they're walking around with cup rings and they're walking around with, so, like, when you're talking about how to be a student of the game, like, how, like, is it even, I know it's probably helpful to have some sort of playing experience regardless, but, like, you know, the NHL is considered, like, the elite league, and, you know, I, 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 like, from your perspective from these coaches, I mean, does playing does actually playing the game even as much matter anymore? I mean, you know, with all the information you have at your disposal now, I I just feel like you know all these guys that you know the, for those who that do teach and those who can't teach teach gym obviously, but you know I'm I'm of the mind like like I <laughs> I I love hockey so much and I know I've been able to you know glean and learn the game so much, but I don't necessarily play it. So like in in terms of debunking that stupid argument of like just because you haven't played the game doesn't mean you can't be good at it you know like what how like how do you go about de- debunking that with with these coaches right now i know i've asked like 10 yeah. questions in there <laughs> well I, I well i know what you're saying and and i, I think a couple of things one it like i i do think if you played in the league there's the instant credibility you have among the players and, and you saw like i remember like doug Waite taking over with the islanders and you know his reputation preceded him and and, and guys, you know, right away they'll listen maybe closer right off the hop. But if you don't have the chops in terms of, you know, being able to lead and X's and O's and make adjustments, like that credibility can only take you so far. Like if, 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 you're, if then if you can't then, you know, have the rest of the package, it's it's no good. What I would say is to the to the notion of the, the coaches that haven't played the game, and I I'm certainly like I'm maybe most fascinated by those guys because um, I think the the you know, barrier to entry is so high. Like you have to basically be so good at your job as a coach to to get to that level, to the NHL level, without having kind of the leg up of being having the name recognition or the credibility of playing the game. So that if you have made it to the league and you are coaching in that circumstance, you 
you've definitely earned it. Like you're, you're probably a great coach. And there's a few examples. Like to me, John Cooper's the, the best example right now. And the guy who was a lawyer, you know, in, in East Lansing or whatever it was. And, and basically said, I'm going to take the plunge and I'm going to do this. And John Cooper just crushed it. Like every single level, he's winning championships. And that's basically what you have to do if you're John Cooper and you're a lawyer and you didn't play 15 <laughs> years in the league. Right. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, Bob Hartley's the other, another good example of that guy that was, you know, working in a windshield factory again. So he had to then every single level he's coaching in championship, championship, championship. And that's the only, like he, there was no margin for error. Right. Like, and I feel bad for those guys because, you know, they clearly know what they're doing. And then, you know, then you see a player retire two years later and he's co- coaching. And they're probably like, man, you know, that would have been nice. But I, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the guys that are, that do what you're talking about, that say, look, I, I know the game as well as anybody. I don't have to play it. And, and sometimes I think those are the best coaches. Well, I, I agree. <laughs> so there you, there you go. Yeah. Um, okay. So I have a question from our uh, from our, our readers. So this is from uh, Cheddar Fetter. Uh, great username. Hey, all right. So, <laughs> so on the topic of coaching, if you could create a custom coach to lead the Red Wings rebuild, what would he be like? Oh, all right. Like, are we saying like uh, you get Mike Babcock uh, intensity and one of those kind of like robo coaches? Sure. Or yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Frank, <laughs> Frankenstein a coach, Craig. We we we've got right. the light. We've got the lightning. We've got the operating table. Let's put it together. Yeah, we got the technology. All right, so we're, so yeah, so like I, a it, it would be, and and I want to with the caveat like I'm not saying I'm trying to replace Jeff Blaschel who I think is he's going to be under heat here soon and and whatever because like if they really truly are going under a rebuild like you want kind of a young coach that's going to learn with you so you know what I'm saying you almost want like that younger yeah. coach like Jeff who's kind of a progressive thinker and all that but in terms of if we're going to Franken coach it then I would just say like. You know, in, in talking to all these coaches, like Mike Babcock's kind of insatiable thirst to get better and to look mm-hmm. for the next thing. Like I would, uh, so I would want like that drive, that never shuts up, like that intense focus on looking for the next thing, and the next edge in hockey, and looking outside the sport. That's what made his chapter so fascinating. Here's a guy who's looking at like Silicon Valley companies and CEOs of of, of companies outside the world of hockey, trying to then import those things into the world of hockey. Because, or, or else you're just borrowing the kind of the same tired ideas. And so that would be like, you want his drive. I would want um, Mike Sullivan's kind of his X's and O's and his ability to adjust. Like I watched how he operated that Penguins team last year in the spring with, you know, Ron Hainsey was their best defenseman or whatever. Like they were so banged up on D and somehow, you know, they kind of rope-a-doped the, the Capitals and beat them, and they just adjusted whatever adjustments they needed to make. And so in terms of in-series and in-games adjustments and X's and O's and ability, the ability not only to recognize what you have to do, but then to implement it, I think Mike Sullivan is as good as it is. Um, and then I think Joel Quenville's strength, and I would like to somehow round this in, uh, is is kind of relating to the players in a way so that they all – like would run through a wall for him. Like they just love him. And he has this, he has this, this way about him where he, he finds ways to, to connect with his guys and to, um, you know, make it, it, it's funny that the Blackhawks teams are never about the coach. If you know it, like you, you, we're going to look back at that great era 
and say, oh, it was Taze and Kane and Keith and Corey Crawford and say, well, what a great team that was. And then we'll be like, oh, yeah, they also had a coach who won three Stanley Cups, <laughs> you know, in five years or whatever. And, and it's like an afterthought where it's almost every other great team, it's like the coach is the guy. And I think that's a credit to Joel Quenville, how he's just like, I'm gonna, it's, it's about the players here, and these are stars, and I'm going to let them operate. And I think that that's a, that's a special skill. So I think if we're mixing it all together, that would be where I'd start. Well, uh, I mean, I've already – Igor, flip the switch. Let's make this thing. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be, uh, you know – and you know what the interesting thing is, is um, I don't know where, like, presence factors into all this as a coach. Um, and the example I'll use, like, you know, Mike Babcock has that Mike Babcock presence, right? And he's behind the bench and, you know, he's he's not overreacting to things and – and he's intense there and all that. And like, I, you know, I, I think teams kind of take their lead off of that. But I think sometimes it gets overplayed. Like I remember somebody saying, I think John Hines is one of the, kind of the next young, great coach in the league in New Jersey. And people, uh, somebody kind of alluded to him maybe not getting a shot earlier because they were worried he didn't have that. Like he's, you know, he's just a regular dude, right? John Hines, but he's really smart. And, and people are like, well, you know, can he command a bench and all that? And I, I don't have a great sense of how important that is. What I would, the only thing I know is that you have to be authentic and you can't try to fake it. Like if you don't have it and then you try to be, you know, somebody you're not, um, I think players see right through that. That's, I mean, of course, I, I think, I think that swagger presence, I mean, I'm trying to figure out which episode of 24 seven, uh, back in the day was, um, it was the it was the Red Wings and the and the Leafs one, but there's just something about like, you know how you how you command yourself or how you command the room. I mean, yeah, that's that that was that was the one things I missed the most of since since Babcock left. So yeah, I, I, uh, that's that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know, like I just think you have to be authentic. Like that's the one thing the players, and and I think that's why John Tortorella gets away with what he gets away with with players because. There's no no nobody in that room saying he's a phony at all. Like they, you're you're, you're getting you're getting the true John Tortorella at every moment. And the fascinating thing about him is, you know, he has this reputation of being hard on players and all that stuff and shelf life and all these things that kind of get thrown around John Tortorella. And then all of a sudden you see players kind of gravitating. He, you know, when he went from Tampa to New York, look at how many former Lightning ended up in New York that wanted to then play for him and Marty St. Louis and. Dan Boyle and Brad Richards and all these guys have been Tanko and and you know if he was so hard and miserable to play for you know why why then are were guys following him in New York? Yeah, I mean that's a very good point. I remember reading that and I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, right, right. I don't know if this is too much of a cliche question for something like this, but I just I don't know. I found this interesting. You know, so in this book you're able to talk to nine coaches. You know, so. I was going to ask you, like, you know, if you write the sequel, who do you think will be included? You just said, you know, John Hines is, is a new up-and-comer who you think is going to be, you know, kind of in that in that level. So who's, who's like, the one coach that you wish you could have talked to but you weren't able to either, you know, maybe because he's not alive anymore or, you, you, you know, you wanted to, you know, you tried to do it, you just couldn't make it work. You know, so who's the yeah. one person that, you know, in a perfect world, you could have had. Yeah, the ones, the ones whose house you stood outside playing Peter Gabriel too, hoping that they'd come outside. <laughs> oh, well, exactly. You know, yeah. there was there was some of that for, with Scotty Bowman. Like I thought he would be good, and then but, but then yeah. it became like, 
it, it's such a contemporary book. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I was also worried that it would be, like, including him and, and kind of wedging him in would have been out of place on some level. But, like, yeah. had Scotty said, yeah, I'll, and Scotty was great. Like, he's like, you know, we can talk coaching. we all, But I don't think he wanted, you know, it was a big ask. Like, I don't think he wanted to, like, need to hang out with them all day and watch TV, which is, you know, basically what I'm doing with these coaches. So, like, <laughs> you know, I think it would have been really cool to get him. I, the one, the kind of the, you know, backstory is the, the one coach I really was trying to wedge in and couldn't find a way to really do it was John Cooper. Um, because, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's still kind of in that point where he hasn't had the big win. And, and what this ended up being was sitting down and watching gold medal games and Stanley Cup winning games and, and, you know, John was up for it, but then it was like, all right, well, which game? And he, you know, I was like, if you guys remember, he went on that great AHL run, you know, where they won yeah. a million games in a row. With, I think it was like the Tyler Johnson Palat team in the AHL. And, but like, even that was a bit like, I didn't want to put him in a spot where everybody else was watching Stanley Cup winning games and we're, you know, watching some minor league success, like, hey, you know, remember my high school days kind of thing. So, um, that, like, if I was to do a sequel, yeah, I think John Cooper is is pretty high up the list um, of guys I want to do, and and you know the other guy was was uh, that kind of got away was Daryl Sutter, and, and you know he's he was a guy that you know he was up for it, and then I had such a small window to actually execute this that you know I don't think the schedules worked out, but like I he's he's got a bit of that John Tortorella in him where I my only interactions with Daryl Sutter was you know, in press conferences where if you asked the wrong question, you were getting snapped at. But I've all, you know, <laughs> one of the things about Daryl Sutter is he's, he kind of plays off the, you know, all shucks, whatever personality. And he's, I think he's brilliant. Like, I think he's really smart. And that's a guy that I wanted to be able to kind of get in that, try to get into a scenario where I could tap into some of that. I mean, Sutter yeah, I, is also oh, the, oh, oh, no, no, good. Sorry. Uh, uh, I mean, Sutter is also uh, one of the few coaches to have perfectly perfected the fist bump because I think it was after uh, yes. they when they first won, I think it was the first cup where they were doing, you know, like uh, I forget which, it was probably, you know, like the second or third home game, right? And they're like handing out the rings and whatnot. And it was like a fan thing and he's just kind of sitting down there and then he just does like one fist bump and then he's like, he stands up again and does another fist pump thing. I like that's, that's, that's elite NHL coaching right there. And, uh, well, that's, and, you know, I, I wish I could include that now in my Franken coach. We want the Daryl Sutter. Fist <laughs> there you go. That's not too late. Gotta be, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have to put that in there. Yeah. And like, so where, where he's like, you would talk to him in the, you know, let's say that after a morning skate and, he kind of mumbles and he's really quiet and you're, you're, you're shoving the digital recorder close to, to, you're not sure exactly what he's saying. And he was one of those guys that when you would go back and transcribe and actually hear what he was saying, it was brilliant. Like he would, and I don't know if you guys remember John Rosen, I think it was, and Rich Hammond before him, they would do like the, tr- the transcripts from all of his media availabilities and they all became must read. Like they were either really funny, like sneaky, funny or insightful. And, and, and um, you know, I, I miss having that around. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when I was reading it, I was, you know, I was thinking, you know, if in a perfect world, you know, in a, you know another coach that I could have, you know, chapter 10 on in this style, um, I think would have been Al Arbor. But obviously, oh impossible gosh, now. Yeah. But, um, you know, I was, I grew up an Islanders fan. I was in the, I was at the Coliseum that night when Ted Nolan uh, 
brought you know basically gave up his coaching position for one night so Al Arbor could coach one more game. Um, and I mean, oh my God, talk about you know that's probably probably right up there in top five sporting experiences I've ever had in my life. But um, yeah, I mean for obvious reasons that couldn't fit. But I mean, what a you know, what a legacy, huh? Well, there's yeah, and, and so. I, I didn't get into this as much as I thought I was going to because I like this maybe fascinates only me, but I love like the kind of the coaching tree and this guy kind of begat this guy. And, you know, a lot of these guys are like, you know, Roger Nielsen's another coach who I would have loved, you know, to kind of sure. this is a guy who had camps and conferences and really shared his wisdom. And there's a coach named Claire Drake who is being elected to the Hall of Fame this year as a builder. He's out in, you know, in Edmonton area and, and when you talk to kind of the Western Canadian coaches, uh, Barry Trotz, Mike Babcock, Todd McClellan, uh, Mike Johnson, the former Penguins coach, Ken Hitchcock is a huge Claire Drake disciple. Uh, I, like this is like kind of the modern aggressive penalty kill, all this kind of stemmed from his philosophies. And then he was, you know, he was a college coach, so he was a teacher at heart. And so he taught all of these guys. And so he has this, these almost like a coaching tree of his own and that a lot of American hockey fans have never heard of him. And, that would have been another guy I would have loved to, to talk, talk to. He's he's alive, but he, like I, you know, he's getting, he's getting up there. Yeah. Um, so so Craig, I wanted to ask you this, and, and you know, I, I apologize for the TMZ nature of this question, but uh, you know, <laughs> you you met you met nine coaches. Was there one of it them? Was ten, wasn't it? Ten? Or was I've it? been saying ten. <laughs> oh, you know why? Oh no, there's nine chapters. There's nine, nine chapters. That's what right. I was looking at. All right, yeah, I'm sorry. Tortorella were together. Okay, I, that's right. Right. So ten. Now, yeah. So right. So you've met you've met the even ten. Uh, was was there any of them where you just were on the edge of losing your cool because you're like, holy crap, I'm talking to, like 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 uh, like you're in the same room as Babcock. Like, was there anybody that you were like, ah, geez, you know. You know, if I was in that room for one more second, I might have kissed him on the mouth, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, no, you know, mostly because I've been dealing with all these guys for so long, right? Right, it's, yeah. It's been 10 years of this, and and I don't, like, I'm, I just, I look at these, uh, you know, I, I, I deal with the players and the coaches for, for so long. I just, they're, these are just other people that I'm trying to learn from, basically. And I have this, you know, and I think that's my approach to them is this, you know, if I'm talking to you guys or whatever, it's just the same kind of conversation. And, um, you know, where, there were some nerves. Like, I got, you know, nervous going into John Tortorella just because I didn't know how it was going to go because um, I didn't know him. So it was just more fear of the unknown. But, like, once you're having that conversation, like, all that kind of goes away. The, the most nerve-wracking thing was just the logistics. Like, I was always worried a coach would forget that they agreed to do it, you know, and I'd fly to Kelowna and I couldn't find the guy or, you know, Ron right. Wilson, you know, I go to South Carolina and he doesn't answer the door. Like that, those <laughs> were kind of the, the nerves and the fears was, was just like, am I going to be able to pull this off, um, you know, in time to get the book written? And that was, that was more kind of what I was worried about or nervous and, you know, actually sitting down and doing it was just fun for me, like more than anything. Some some part of me wants to open a window to the parallel dimension where every coach you did arrange for did exactly that and forget, and your book is ten pages long where you're like, and I was supposed to interview Mike today, he was out of town. I was going to go talk to him in the bathroom. <laughs> uh, well, there was almost like the the Ron Wilson chapter was potentially disastrous because we're watching um, 
the gold medal game, which is the best game I've ever covered live. And there's long stretches. Like if you listen to the audio of the, the tape where neither of us say a word because the game's so good and we're just into it. And neither he hadn't watched the game. I hadn't watched it. And so basically it's just like, Ooh, Oh man. Like, and I'm like, then I'm like, Oh, this is horrible. Like this is going to be for the worst chapter ever. So, you know, try it like, and it was like, it was at that point, he was the second coach I did up where I was like, this might've been a horrible concept, you know, because I'm trying to get these coaches to open up and I'm putting these great games in front of them. Like this, I was starting to wonder if it was a bad idea at that point. Well, again, you know, it, in reading some of the book and, you know, with Pete reading all of the book, you know, like we got to say it's it's really a great read, uh, Craig. And, you know, we're letting you know the concept works. Like, all right. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> you're welcome. Trust the process. <laughs> trust the process. Yeah, trust the process. Trust the um, process. Yeah, so um, we we wanted to chat about the the athletic real quick because you know you're like in charge yeah. of it and stuff. You know that that seems about the right thing to do here. Um, we had a, we had a question from one of our readers, and I think it actually you know we, we kind of talked about it a little bit in our previous episode, and uh, we're we're actually glad that we can you know what's the word? Oh yeah, deliver on promises. That's fun. Um, so uh, from Raw Power, um, it is actually spelled kind of fun, but we'll spend another episode going into the logistics of pronouncing a reader's name, but, um, yes, you know, you know, what do you see as the focus vision for, uh, focus or vision for, for the athletic and, and, and like what will subscribers get from the athletic Detroit that they wouldn't necessarily get, you know, from either a traditional news source or they say our beloved blog. And I think that's kind of tooting the horn here. So that kind of gives you excuse to talk awesome about the athletic now. <laughs> um, yeah. So, it, I, you know, it's, that's that's our challenge every day is to constantly provide copy that I don't want to say copy that makes it sound like we're just pumping out words but like just story storytelling and behind the scenes um, about the kind of the Detroit teams that that fans aren't getting elsewhere and and it's it's been an interesting process because you know I, there's that we have subscribers that um, it's, since day one have been incredibly supportive and 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 I think with kind of what we're promising come these high standards. And there's also this expectation that, that we're trying to meet where people are like, well, you know, I also, these are, these are some great features. These are, this is great behind the scenes stuff. I also want the, you know, kind of the, the AP game story after the game. And it's like, that's not what we're doing, right? Like we're, we're, um, we're trying to provide kind of to fill a niche in the Detroit sports market of kind of in-depth reporting, uh, long-form storytelling, c- candid conversations with people in in the game in Detroit sports, um, and, and w- what we allow our writers to do is we we free them up from kind of the day-to-day grind of having to file the notebook and write a story right at the buzzer of a game, and to instead then sit down and get time with the players and and may- be able to make 15 phone calls, you know, like. For instance, I did a story on, on Marty Furk, you know, as when he was kind of the hot story coming out of camp. And, you know, I, instead of going on a, a road trip with the team, I'm calling everybody in this kid's life and writing 3,000 words on him and saying, look, this is a kid everyone's talking about. Here's here's who he is and how he got to where he is. And, and I think readers really were excited about that and, and getting it. And, yeah, maybe you didn't get a game story from, uh, you know, an Ottawa game. But like that's that's the exchange there, and and it's it's been so well received. Our you know our, our numbers have been incredible. The support, 
the comments in the comment section. I love diving in and our stories and just interacting with subscribers because there's there's um, it's just good conversation and, and it's there's an intellect there, there's a respect there, and I, I've loved it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because I was um, I was trying to refresh my memory because you know I was you know obviously you know he was preparing of like a, a list of questions and topics and stuff to ask and. Um, <clears throat> Uh, I had remember that um, when it was happening, I remember you wrote an article for The Athletic about, you know, the the Pittsburgh Stanley Cup, uh, you know, White House visit and, you know, like uh, yeah. two episodes ago around the same time we did our, you know, our take on, you know, the protests and the hockey culture and everything. And I, I was scrolling through the comments and I was like, oh, dear God. I was like, he handled that so much better than I, like, you know, I, I would just <laughs> have to turn off my computer and walk away and uh, – well, that's, I don't know. I mean, do, do so that was really one of the only – look, that's – I wasn't even sure how to handle that, right? Because, because sure. you know, with the athletic, we're like, look, we're diving – the focus has been a lot of, you know, on, the, on the, the games and analysis and film breakdown and analytics. And and so it was like, okay, how do you handle something like this? And and I just didn't think it, as a journalist it was it, – it, you know – for the stick to sports crowd, it was like, this was sports. Like this is, it is yeah. now kind of come into our world. And I wanted to articulate why, you know, I thought in talking to people, hockey players, it, it was kind of a little different in the hockey world because of the culture. And, and I would say, and I was anticipating blowback just because if you wrote anything at all on the topic, no matter what it was, you were going to get people yeah. that were angry that, that you weren't sticking to sports. And there was some of that in the comment section, but what I was like encouraged by was that, like I, I didn't have to defend the story, like other subscribers were doing it. Like people would jump in and be like, "Look, this is here, this is why this is important, and this is why the story had to be written." And I'm like, "Great, you know." And then I would just, and, and every once in a while, you'd be like, "Look, I'll engage with you, and uh, you know, let's as long as we do it in a respectful manner, let's let's have this conversation. These are important conversations to have." And yeah, and it's been, and I and I think people respond to that, and. I've loved that interaction because ultimately these to comment, you're subscribing to, to our product and for this to work, basically we need that support from subscribers and I, we can't sit there and ignore them and act like they're not mad or act like, you know, we're, we're going to just on some pillar up high drop stories to the masses, right? Like we can't do that. It's like, mm. we need to interact with our subscribers. I've had, I've had stories that I've written that have come from their ideas. They're like, Hey, why don't you write about this? And, you know, two days later we have that story and, and it's been, it's been a, a different experience than some of my previous stops. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I just have one more, one more uh, question about the athletic and then we're going to wrap it up. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, you talked about obviously, you know, the growth of the company at, you know, or, or, you know, the growth of the site through, you know, its subscribers, but also, you know, we have the, the idea of the growth of the company through, you know, contributors. And so, you know, for anybody listening to this, any of our listeners who, you know, maybe down the road they'd be interested in, you know, joining the athletic, you know, be, you know, being hired to, you know, to write or contribute, um, you know, as somebody, you know, the, the the head of, you know, the athletic Detroit, you know, what would your recommendations be for them to, you know, to kind of, you know, get, you know, get to the point where they could be noticed and, you know, potentially hired by someone someone like you? Well, so one of the interesting, look, we have. A, a you know pretty big budget for full-time staffers we're actually making more hires this week we also have a, a pretty big robust freelance 
budget. And the reason that is is because there's so much interesting work being done by people in a non-traditional kind of media. And so if you look at a lot of our, the people we're using, some are even full-time that, that – you know, these are people that have come up in non, you know, that are, you know, like Prashant, you know, doing analytics for yeah. the Red Wings for us is a, you know, he's a, a doctor or a pharmacist. Or, mm-hmm. And, and you know, his stuff obviously, you know, came from a blog and loved it. I'm like, look, you know, we'll pay you to do it. And, and it's been a great fit. And so if, if people are, and so I get emails all the time that are like, hey, I want to write. And I'm like, great, what are some examples of something you've done? And like, oh, well, I've never written anything. I just want to do it. And it's like, well, <laughs> like that's, that, that formula doesn't work for me. So, like, but when somebody <laughs> says, hey, I know what The Athletic is doing. Like, you're, you're, you know, you, you guys are doing film breakdown. You're doing analytics. You're doing behind-the-scenes access stories. Here, you know, they have an understanding of what we're trying to accomplish and then say, here's two or three examples. Here's links to, to work that I've done that I think aligns with your vision as a company and those are the people that we end up using and and you know it's it's this like you know prospects is another one people that can go deep into prospects and and give really good analysis like that's and so that would be my you know i i I go through my emails all day and i'm always looking for something unique because i want to give our subscribers something they're excited about that they haven't seen elsewhere and so i look i look at all those pretty seriously but it's got to it's got to align with our vision, and I need to have like concrete examples, not just like, hey, here's kind of conceptually what I'm able to do. Sure. Well, well, that's right, folks. I hope you had your pens and your papers out and wrote down everything he just said. So get to work, and then email <laughs> Craig like you know a week from today when he's less busy. Um, so uh, you know, Craig, <laughs> this is this has been phenomenal. Uh, we really we uh, this you know. The, the book's great. The site's great. Pete and I are subscribers. You know, we, we've I pretty much told. That. Yeah, again, we've pretty much everybody we've talked to, we've, you know, I like to think Pete and I have been able to master the subtle art of name of just name dropping the athletic just to be like, hey, this is not your, you know, and I love what you said about you're not just an AP, you know, article, right? Like, oh, geez, AP style. You I, know, also, I, I want to be clear to something. Like, sure. Because we've run into this as a company and, and – I am not putting down anything that anybody else is doing. Like, I love the newspapers. I think, you know, the, the grind of a beat writer and pumping out all the work that they pump out, I, I still read all that stuff, and I consume it. And I and I think it's it's just, as a company, we can't be the – we couldn't have just duplicated that and say, hey, come read our game stories because they're 10% better than that game story. You know what I mean? Sure. Right, yeah. It's like – we have to say, hey, we're doing something completely different over here, and we're, you know, mm-hmm. and we're diving into it from all these different angles, from front office perspectives. We have former front office people from analytics, from, you know, people with contacts and sources and that are going to be able to, you know, my, my favorite stories that are right are the how the deals got done. Like, how did the Tatar arbitration go? How did the Athens mm-hmm. view deal finally get completed? And that might not come the second the deal is announced, you know, but it, it's going to be there the next day or the day after that. And I, I think people really like to, to get that, that look, but I, I think, you know, all the other stuff is, is valuable too. Like I, as a sports fan, I think you want it all. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and you know, maybe to just expound on that a little bit, just, you know, it, it's not so much you're replacing it. You you're, you're adding something to the mix, right. You know, cause I, cause I feel like Sometimes, like the AP stuff, like they they uh, you know they they cover that sort of need or want to be informed. But like I like how the athletic is 
is able to introduce a different perspective because I, I, I personally think that the national perspective can just be so detached sometimes from yeah. from these things, right? You know, like it's there's it, a hard fought season, and then and then all of a sudden, you, the, not only are the guys that you've been call, hearing call the games like they don't they're not calling the games anymore, just stuff kind of gets lost in the shuffle because just like yep, you know, kind of like an FBI investigation, yep, you know, we're taking over here. You know, well, you know thanks, yeah, yeah, we got this, boys. Thanks for your work so far. Be sure to tip. Uh, be sure to tell your uh, your uh, your shift supervisor, and uh, you know we'll uh, you know we'll let you know if we find anything, right? You know, so I just yeah, yeah. I, I feel like the athletic is kind of addressing you know uh, an under the radar need to be like, listen, you know, the, the local coverage is it's so it's so essential to, to to keep you informed because you know, like, yeah, some guy in L.A. can write about the game last night in Detroit, but you know, like having somebody there. Who's who's doing the you know either actually at the event or just knows a couple more people to to get more perspective on it? It's it's really invaluable. So you know again the you're uh, I, forget, I forget what movie I'm quoting, but it's said in every movie. You're doing the Lord's work, lad. You're doing the Lord's work. Um, so uh, it's been fun, and the, like tonight, and it's been validated by the you know the Detroit Sports Fan. And the fact that we're able to have the numbers we do, subscribing and the support and the interaction, and during a time where the teams aren't particularly good, like I'm, I, I'm, I'm jealous of like James Myrtle in Toronto because they're on this rocket ship <laughs> to the moon with the police. <laughs> yeah. And like with that comes, you know, you're going to get a large, you, you know, maybe fans that wouldn't be into it otherwise. And the fact that we do have so many Red Wings fans, like this is a pretty average team. I don't have to tell you guys that. And the fact that we have as many people into it and passionate about it and subscribing and interacting on a team that's going nowhere, like, I just can't wait till we get this thing built out. And one of these teams, whether it be the Lions, the Tigers, the Red Wings, you know, goes to the moon. And then I think it really explodes. Yeah, it's like, you know, welcome to part 26 of why William Nylander is super fun to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. And, you know, and there's certainly part of, you know, we were laughing because we came out of the hop uh, in June and we're writing, we're, you know, Tyler Dell is breaking down the PK and we have every angle of everything. And then we're like, oh, man, the season hasn't even started yet for another month. Like, what else we, you know, here's your 15th Athens to see you negotiation story. So, like, when you're diving sometimes there's a challenge. But it's been, it's been interesting to see. There, there seems to always be something fun to write about, which has been great. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, again, you're doing – you're doing fantastic work. We can't recommend it enough, folks. It's the Athletic Detroit. Um, you know, obviously, Craig, this is uh, a tremendous and awesome. Uh, just, just we're we're. I'm losing the ability to speak words. I've lost all capacity for rational thought. This has been really great. And uh, um, what we want to wrap this up with. Um, this is the for sure podcast. Um, there are our. Our theme song is just basically a, a a dubstep of different players at different times saying for sure because it's the greatest sure. uh, it's the oh, for sure absolutely so um, you know we 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 just wanted to to, to humbly ask that uh, you know it, would you be would you be cool for saying uh, for sure for sure <laughs> absolutely for sure it, it, for, it, all right it, you know you know what's funny about for sure is as a interviewer like it's 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 almost like it's so reaffirming like you feel good like you're talking to a guy and you're like ah second period yeah for sure and you're like oh yeah i nailed that and you're like, got no new information out of the guy like it was the most useless interaction but like you feel good he feels good so i always like the for sure 
That's well. That's perfect. So, uh, anyways, uh, we've uh, to quote Awesome Powers, and I'm spent. Pete, uh, this is this is real great. So, uh, Craig, thanks so much for coming on, man. And uh, you know, good luck with uh, with everything. And we'll we'll be watching. So don't screw up. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Okay, folks, it's time for a brand-new hard-hitting segment of the For Sure podcast, uh, much in the vein of a uh, famous TV show called Crossfire, which was hilariously and awesomely destroyed by Jon Stewart. We are now going to be doing some cross-checks. This is some rapid-fire reactions to some of the stories going around the league today. So, uh, Pete, are you ready to uh, to just let the gut fly? I, I am. I got my bow tie ready. I am uh, I'm ready to go. All right, so uh, number... Uh, our first cross check is uh, so some of these NHL teams today are uh, really kind of not doing a good job of, of handling some of their star players. Uh, examples are uh, Josh Hosang from the Islanders and uh, Shipyachov from uh, from Las Vegas. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Stop it. Topic two: Former Arizona Coyotes captain Shane Doan is joining the NHL's hockey operation department. What do you think? I think that the uh, days without Shane Doan incident thing will never proceed past the number zero. Topic three, Montreal Canadiens, uh, the Titanic is sinking. Are they basement bound, Peter? No. Topic four, ex-Canadiens coach Mario Tremblay alleges that Alex Golchenyuk sought treatment for substance abuse. Jay? That's that's pretty bad. Wait, wait, hold on. All right, stop the segment. Hold on. That's that's all you got pretty bad? That's it? I mean, that's, that's what I felt. I mean... Isn't that part of the scheme here? Oh, okay, hold on a second. I got to... Okay. Just thinking about this story gets my blood boiling um, and any other metaphor you could think of. Like, I think there's literally steam coming out of my ears right now, and I know that because the condensation is forming in my headphones, which I, I must say is not very comfortable at this point. This is this is one of the most disgusting sports stories I've read in quite some time because like there's you know there there you know you have some things like this where you have you know the classic story of Mike Milbury making Tommy Salo cry during an arbitration hearing because of how how rude you know how how rough he was in in talking about you know Salo as a player um you have Mike Milbury climbing into the stands to beat a player with his shoe. You have Mike Milbury basically saying anything on the intermission on NBCSN. Basically, there's a lot of Mike Milbury bad stuff that goes on. But I mean, this is this is just so this is just so disgusting and so disturbing on a personal level that the situation in Montreal in the media is this bad that. This is even a possibility. I mean, you know, you, you know, you have you have people that have you know addictions. You know, they're addicted to substances. They're addicted to alcohol. Um, you know, things like that. And you know, it can happen to it can happen to almost anybody. You know, it could happen to to your friends. It could happen to your family. You know, it could happen to anybody. It's not surprising that it could happen to a hockey player. And 
you know, while obviously if somebody is, is, is battling addiction, it can be detrimental to the team, of course, and, you know, the team needs to internally handle it, you know, sit the player down, maybe, you know, give them an ultimatum or something like that. But for, for this to be leaked to the media is just absolutely disgusting because, I mean, this, this takes it beyond the level of sports and like now we're getting into like just the level of like humanity, you know, the you know, Montreal is famous for doing this. You know, when players leave, there's this smear campaign against them. Sometimes when players are, are trying to be pushed out the door, there's like a smear campaign against them. But I mean, this is just, this is just wrong. This is just so disturbing to me that I can't even really put into words how, how angry this makes me. All right. So Jay, what's your serious, because obviously before we were doing a bit, so what's your serious <laughs> thoughts on, what's your serious thoughts on this? My serious thoughts is it's a load of crap, and I, and you know, for the sake of just keeping this as listener friendly as possible, that's about the strong language I'll use to describe it. But it's actually way more than that, because to to leak that sort of info out, I mean, you know, like can like I, I don't know if there's some is, is there like some sort of contest in the in the in the a hole community right now of like, hey, how can you just totally say something that's very private and. Uh, you know, obviously only the concerns of those affected uh, to his – how can you disseminate that uh, in, in as uh, cavalier and, and dumb a way possible? And, and Trombley said, hold my Molson. So it's as you said, Pete. I mean, disgusting. It's, 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 in, it's, invade, it's intruding on someone's uh, life experience right now. I mean, you know, hey, the, we all know sports and professional uh, – Athletes have an, an effect on on the psyche, and and we all run into it. You know, we all want to be on the straight and narrow, but we're we're still human, and we will run we will run into problems. We will make mistakes. It's that's the part of the game here. And to just have somebody, you know, reveal a, a struggle against someone's either wishes or or or, uh, or um, you know, against even even if he doesn't have the ability to say no to something like that. I mean, you just don't. You just don't do that stuff, and it's just really frustrating. And you know, I'm, I just, I'm, I'm really surprised that no one else has really like come out against this yet. And and I hope more people do because it's there's no place for that really anywhere. Not even not just sports, folks. That's like nowhere. Like if someone's dealing with stuff like that, that is their business. And you know, unless they specifically use you as some sort of mouthpiece to to inform people, like hey. You know, either my client or a former friend of mine is going through some trouble right now. We would really respect his pri- We really respect. Would like you to respect his privacy and 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 just wish him the best during during a tough go here. You know, ju- you just don't. You you just don't do any of what Trump did, and it's and it's really low. It's it's dumb, and he honestly needs to be uh, uh, cross checked across the midsection, preferably, preferably into a phone pole. Cause I think that would be the funniest part. Right. Cause like someone <laughs> just kind of blindsides him from the right side and he just like, you know, like, like right in like the low, the mid rib region. And then just like kind of bumps up against a phone pole. Like it's just, it's like it, it, nothing's broken, but it's just jarring enough where he's like, gosh, geez, you know, maybe I shouldn't, you know, do that ever again, you know? So yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's really tough to see stuff like that. Really, at all, and uh, and to see it continue to to happen, it's 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 disheartening, and he really should he really should effing know better. 
these yeah. this is that's there's really nothing else to I mean I don't I don't know what else to say it's it's <laughs> yeah I, I think that pretty much sums it up. Well, with the conclusion of our inaugural cross-check segment, it's time to bring the ninth episode of For Sure to a close. Uh, it's been action-packed. We did some storylines. Uh, we, we looked at some uh, some heated topics. But most of all, we had, uh, you know, this is just a great time talking with uh, Mr. Craig Custance about uh, some of the great hockey minds that are steering some of these teams. For all we know, one of those ten coaches he's interviewed, you know, will raise the cup at this season's end, and wouldn't it be funny if it was a coach that, uh, you know, that he didn't get to do? How hilarious would that be? Because he covered all the coaches that he wanted to have it and but but couldn't get. So, you know, you're on notice, coaches, Craig mentioned. <laughs> so uh, we'll, uh, you know, obviously be on the internets and watching everybody out there, and if you want to interact with us, please let us know in our comments and uh, or shoot us a message. Uh, you can follow us, of course, at 200 foot pod for at 200 foot pod pocky pocky yes pocky hockey cast on uh, the twitters that's at 200 ftpod you can always find mr peter flynn at p flynn hockey p flynn h-o-c-k-e-y and you can always find myself at the roar underscore 24 so pete i think you know what 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 time it is oh boy Oh my! <laughs> oh my! That's right, folks. We, we, as always, we close with our Emmerich verb, and I, I think I found a really good one for this week, Pete. Are you, are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Sure. I think we really shuffleboarded this week along. I think we ah. did. I think we did. He, he shuffleboards it along the boards to, to Voracek scores. Waterloo. <laughs> Those have been my almost, all my always favorite parts because just the declarative way Emmerich says player names, like you just know, just you just say it. It's not Claude Giroux scores. It's mm. not Claude Giroux emptied out the trash last night. It's just Claude Giroux. Yeah, I, I was just thinking that you know since we end all our shows with the Doc Emmerich uh, verb, we should uh, we should start all our shows with the Doc Emmerich opening, <laughs> where he just says like six six individual words that event you know like it, it's it's like a lo- like a logic flow puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. Well, folks, that's it for the for sure. We'll catch you on the other side. <laughs>